Well, please grab your Bibles and turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. We'll be in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 today. And I am not at 100%, just so you know. If you wanted some pretty lively fire and brimstone preaching, you came to the wrong place today. It's like the Michael Jordan flu game for me, which may have bad connotations in Utah, I guess. Well, I want to make a couple announcements uh, before we get into the text. I want to talk to you about this Wednesday night. Would really appreciate all of you trying to make it out this Wednesday night for our service. Uh, Let's see, is this a meal? It's not a meal night, is it? All right, so it's just at 7 o'clock. If you could be here at 7 o'clock on Wednesday, that'd be great, especially members of this church. Of course, all people are welcome, but especially members. We're going to talk about some important stuff on Wednesday night at 7. That will be our last Wednesday night meeting of the year. We will be starting a new Wednesday night study in January. But uh, this coming Wednesday, please try to be here at 7 uh, so we can have a good conversation together. And then uh, also today, after this service, we have our annual business meeting that, of course, is for all people to attend. There is a lunch provided, so... If nothing else, come for the free food, but uh, we will be going over the year that is 2022 and be voting on a couple of things, members will. So if you can stick around, please do that. And again, especially members would love for you to stay uh, today after the service. Well, let me uh, go ahead and open up in prayer and then uh, we'll get into the text today. Father, we thank you so much for who you are and for what you've done, what you continue to do in our lives. God, we appeal to you as the creator and sustainer of all things. We are nothing. We are but grass. We are weak. But God, you are infinite and strong and mighty, and you have entered into covenant relationship with us because of your own work, the work of God the Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. And Lord, we ask that today as we contemplate these amazing truths found in your word, that we would gain greater insight into the majesty of Christ, into just the depth of relationship that we have with you, that you are not only sovereign, but you are good and compassionate. Help us to see that today. And we ask together that me, as weak as I am, that I would not get in the way of your text, but that your word would be clear to your people this morning. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I love 2 Corinthians. I think you know this by now. Very excited to be in this book. Uh, Very excited to be examining all the riches that are in here. Uh, if we can put our logo up for the sermon series, it's in gold. Second Corinthians in gold. Because to me, this is just one of the golden places of the New Testament. I love the book of Second Corinthians. It's a very interesting and unique letter, Second Corinthians is. The apostle, Paul, He had a turbulent relationship with this church, which we learned from 1 Corinthians, didn't we? Very rocky relationship. 
As Tyler went over for us last week, the letters that we know as 1st and 2nd Corinthians are actually 2nd and 4th Corinthians. He had a lot of interaction with this church, and he had a few highs but many lows in his relationship with them. And right now, as he's writing this letter, in the midst of this turbulent relationship with this church, Paul is having to write a letter because certain men had come into the church to further soil his reputation among the believers in Corinth. These men who called themselves apostles came in and really put down Paul and made Paul lower in their minds. How would you write a letter like this? Perhaps you can imagine, or maybe you've even experienced, someone turning your own children against you and then trying to reach out to your children. That's hard. That's extremely difficult, very challenging. And that's what Paul is doing in the second letter to the Corinthians. Paul is reaching out to them to defend his apostleship, to defend his love for them, to defend the gospel. And out of all the places that he could start when writing such a letter, he starts by addressing the common experience of suffering and the subsequent comfort. He starts by addressing the suffering that we have not only as humans but as Christians and the comfort that we have from God. So this is a unique opening to the letter. You'll notice in the opening here, he doesn't offer thankfulness for the Corinthians. Even in the first letter to the Corinthians, with all the issues that they had in that church, he still said, I thank my God for you. You won't find a phrase like that here in this opening. But instead, he starts with that shared experience and he does so in benediction form. You can see in verse 3, he's giving a blessing to God. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So he's starting in benediction form, addressing the shared experience of suffering and comfort. So how about I read verses 1 through 7, and then we'll start talking about some items in particular. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, with all the saints who are throughout Achaia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our afflictions so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction, with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For just as the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance, so also our comfort is abundant through Christ. But if we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. Or if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which is uh, effective in the patient enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer." And our hope for you is firmly grounded, knowing that as you are sharers of our sufferings, so also you are sharers of our comfort. Well, as you can see from the sermon title today, my goal over the next two Sundays is to build up for us a theology of comfort. 
I want us to have a strong biblical Christian theology of comfort, what it means to be comforted. And before we can really define comfort or even understand the comfort of God, we have to grasp the reality of suffering or the reality of affliction, as you see in our text today. And so let's start by defining affliction, and perhaps I'm sad to say that I think most of the sermon today will be focused on affliction rather than comfort. But we will get to comfort today, and all of next week we'll be talking about comfort. Uh, We don't want to just talk about affliction, but it's important to understand affliction before we understand comfort. When we consider how to define affliction from Scripture, we can start with its literal meaning. The literal meaning of affliction is to be pressed, to be under pressure, to be pressed in or squeezed. That's what that word affliction means. Now, of course, affliction and suffering is germane to humanity. It has been ever since the fall. In a general sense, every creature suffers. In fact, in the New Testament, in Romans 8, it says that all of creation groans here and now. Things live and die because there's a general great affliction that has affected every creature. There's general hardship. There's general pain and adversity in life. This word affliction, and you can see it in our text today, starting in verse 4, this word in the New Testament appears over 50 times, but it appears more in 2 Corinthians than in any other New Testament book. So this is a great book to go to if you want to learn how to suffer well. If you want to learn how to be afflicted well, you can go to 2 Corinthians to learn. Furthermore, we know that Affliction and suffering is just a fact of life for God's people. Think of Israel, 400 years in slavery in Egypt. That's some pretty massive affliction. Think of the generations that spanned those hundreds of years, names that you'll you'll never know in this life. Their entire lives, all they knew was affliction. Into the wilderness they went, and then constantly being attacked by enemies. Affliction, suffering, pain, hardship, adversity. The same is true for the church. God's people, Christians, are destined for affliction. Now, that is not the best news that you've wanted to hear. That isn't exactly something you lead with when you're sharing the gospel with somebody who needs to be saved. Become a Christian you'll be afflicted. That's not what we say very often, but it's true. Think of what Jesus said to His disciples. These things I have spoken to you so that you may have peace, but in the world you will have affliction. Take heart, I have overcome the world. But there's that promise. In this world you will have suffering, you will have affliction. In Acts chapter 14... We see the Apostle Paul planting churches, some of the very first Christian churches. He went through Galatia, and he was going from city to city, starting churches very quickly. And then he went back around, and he hit the same cities on the way back. 
And as he went back to visit these churches he started, he installed leadership in the churches. And do you know what he said to the leaders of these first churches? He was reminding them that it was through many afflictions that they were going to enter the kingdom of God. This is all headed toward the kingdom. A wonderful time for those who belong to Christ. But it's through many afflictions that you will enter the kingdom. You must go through many afflictions. Let me read to you an extended portion from 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. Paul wrote to these believers in Thessalonica. 1 Thessalonians 3, starting at verse 2, Paul says, We sent Timothy, our brother and God's fellow worker in the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you as to your faith, so that no one would be disturbed by, here's our word, these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we have been destined for this. For indeed, when we were with you, we kept telling you in advance that we were going to suffer affliction. And so it came to pass, as you know. For this reason, when I could endure it no longer, I also sent to find out about your faith for fear that the tempter might have tempted you and our labor would be in vain. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us good news of your faith and love, and that you always think kindly of us, longing to see us just as we also long to see you. For this reason, brethren, in all our distress, and here's our word, affliction, we were, here's another word, comforted about you through your faith. For now we really live if you stand firm in the Lord. Affliction. We are destined for this. There will be affliction to suffer in the Christian life, but it will not be without comfort. And that's what we'll see in our passage today. But notice again, it says there in the text that we as Christians are destined for affliction. In that same letter to the Thessalonians, Paul said, we are not destined for wrath. Now, here's an important distinction I want you to keep in your mind. I believe it's chapter 5, verse 9. Paul says that we are not destined for wrath. The wrath of God is not coming upon you. You're in Christ, and the wrath of God would as soon touch you as it would touch Christ, and that's never going to happen. You're protected by your Savior. However, the circumstances of this life are that you are lights in a dark world, aren't you? And you're in a fallen world, and there will be all sorts of consequences of you being in this fallen world and seeking to live for Jesus. And affliction is one of those consequences. Always in Paul's view, when he's talking about afflictions, when he's talking about sufferings, he's always thinking about suffering in particular for Christ. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, when we get to that 10 years from now, Paul lists out his afflictions that he has suffered as an apostle. He goes over this very long list of all the ways that he has suffered for Christ, not just generally, but for Christ. And we see that in Paul's writings. In Romans chapter 8, we have that amazing passage to end the chapter. What shall we say then? What shall separate us from the love of God? You remember this passage? It's a sweet passage. And he goes on to list a bunch of things in rhetorical question form. Should famine separate us or persecution or trials? things in heaven or things on earth, visible or invisible, any of these things, are they going to separate us? No, they will not. 
But Paul had particularly in view, as we suffer for Christ and we endure these things in this life, will we ever be separated from the love of God? Will the persecution of the world ever actually succeed in ripping us away from our God? No. The answer is a resounding no. If God is for us, who can be against us? So affliction, as a definition, is pressure, it's suffering, but especially because of association with Christ. Now I want to discuss types of affliction, the types of affliction that are suffered. You'll notice in our text today, if you look over verse 4, just verse 4, you can see that Paul uses words like all and any in relation to afflictions, indicating that there are many types of affliction. No two people suffer in the same way. No two Christians in this life suffer in the exact same way. In this letter, Paul refers to all our affliction here in verse 4, also in chapter 7, verse 4. In chapter 4, verse 8, Paul says, we are afflicted in every way. In chapter 7, verse 5, Paul says, we're afflicted from every side. So he uses, just in this letter, language that describes a very broad scope of afflictions. There are varieties of afflictions, whether that's direct persecution, physical pain. Some of you know what that's about. Spiritual distress, burdens. There are all sorts of afflictions. When we get to chapter 6, we'll see Paul lists some of these, and he says that he has suffered many afflictions, and he goes on to list next to that hunger and labors. Now, we don't know much about hunger. We, uh, we do pretty well to satisfy our hunger anytime we want. But for Paul, that was one of his afflictions, one of the ways that he suffered, and his labors, his works for the Lord that he was doing all around. But there's an amazing common denominator as you think about the various types of affliction. There's an amazing common denominator for Christians. Look at verse 5 with me. Look at this. For just as the sufferings of Christ are ours. This is the common denominator. No matter how you suffer as a Christian... Your sufferings are the sufferings of Christ that are also shared in by your fellow believers in the local church and even around the world. Our sufferings are Christ's sufferings. How could that be? Well, back in 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 6.14, it says, The one who has been joined to the Lord is one spirit with Him. There's this mystical unity that we have with Jesus Christ. When what we go through in life, Jesus comes with us. That's a reality. You think of Jesus confronting Saul, the one who wrote this very letter when he was on the road to Damascus. In Acts chapter 9, Jesus asks Saul, why are you persecuting me? Jesus says. There's unity between the people of Christ in Christ Himself. In Revelation chapter 7, when we see all those martyrs from the great tribulation that are brought out from every tribe, tongue, and nation, these people who have washed their garments in the blood of the Lamb, they suffered with the sufferings of Christ. They weren't sufferings apart from Christ. They were sufferings in Christ. 
And I want to read to you Colossians 1.24. This is quite the startling statement from Paul. He says, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I do my share on behalf of Christ's body, which is the church, in filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Paul saw his sufferings, his afflictions, as Christ's afflictions. Not separate from, but joined to. So the common denominator in the various types of afflictions that we suffer is that our sufferings are the sufferings of Christ. Now, I'm reading to you from the New American Standard Bible here in verse 5 where it says, the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance. I think a better translation would be that the sufferings of Christ overflow to us. That's how the Christian Standard Bible translates this Greek phrase, The sufferings of Christ overflow to us. That's capturing better what Paul is saying in the Greek. There are so many sufferings of Christ. I mean, are you seeing this language? Yours might say abundant, overflow. There are so many sufferings of Christ that they abound to us. They spill over and reach us because there are so many, and we share in those sufferings together as His people. With this abundance, God's people don't need to go out looking for ways to suffer because His sufferings abound to us. They overflow to us. So that's a note on the types of afflictions. But now thirdly, I want to talk about the effects of afflictions. We talked about the definition and the types. Now I want to speak of the effects of afflictions. Now, of course, the simple and most direct effect of affliction is pain. If it's not physical pain, there's a deep soul pain that we experience through suffering for Christ. But there's deep divine purpose in the afflictions of Christ that we share in. And if you don't hear anything else today, this is the section I want you to hear. This is very important. This is critically important that you understand that there is deep divine purpose in the afflictions that we go through in this life for Christ. The first divine purpose that I want to point out is most immediate here in our text. You can see it in verse 4. God's purpose in this affliction is that we might comfort one another, comforting one another. As the people of God are pressed in and pressed down by the afflictions, you know what else happens? We're also pressed together, aren't we? As we are under pressure from the suffering of Christ in this life, God's people are now more firmly pressed together to rely on one another, to counsel and console and comfort one another. Members, comforting members. That's the first, most obvious effect. Secondly, though, an effect that God has, a purpose that He has in our sufferings, is likeness to Christ. Our sufferings that we share in Christ conform us to Christ. Philippians 3, verse 10, Paul said that he desired to know the power of the resurrection. And you know what he says after that? And the fellowship of Christ's sufferings. Paul wanted to know the fellowship of the sufferings of Christ, because as we suffer with Christ, we become more like Him. 
Affliction and suffering in this life is a great tool of God for your sanctification. To make you more like Jesus. You could say that this is our uniform as Christians. We don't have a uniform. We don't put on special garb that marks us as Christians, except for, you could say, the sufferings of Christ. We put on these afflictions, and we are afflicted in Him, having much trouble in this world because of our identification with Him. And we proudly, if I can use that word broadly, not in the sinful sense, we proudly embrace this identity that Jesus has given to us to be suffering servants, just as He is. Thirdly, a great divine purpose in our affliction is the testing of our faith. Don't you know that in affliction, your faith is tested greatly? Let me read to you from 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. It says, In this you greatly rejoice, even though now, for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. These various trials come upon you so that the proof of your faith will be found to result in the praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. How awesome is that? Again, from 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 and 13, he picks up the same theme. He says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, there's our phrase, keep on rejoicing, so that at the revelation of His glory, you may rejoice with exultation. Now, it's interesting how these two different apostles take two different angles when talking about the sufferings that we have in Christ. Apostle Peter here, he's talking about our sufferings test us and prepare us for the second coming of Christ, and that's true. Paul, though, he puts his focus on the sufferings that lead to the current comfort. Both are true. These are two divine purposes in our suffering. That as we suffer now, we are also comforted now as the members of Christ's body are pressed together. And we know, of course, that these afflictions will indeed prove if we are His. Another verse I want to share with you on this point is Revelation 2.10. Jesus speaking to the church at Smyrna. He says, do not fear what you are about to suffer. How would you like to hear this? We get a letter from Jesus this week. Behold, the devil is about to cast some of you into prison so that you will be tested and you will have tribulation or affliction. It's the same word for 10 days. Be faithful until death and I will give you the crown of life. Our affliction leads us into endurance by the testing of our faith. Can you imagine if Jesus would, were to speak to you and say, because of your identification with me, you're about to go to prison. What a startling statement that would be. But if you are His, you know what He does? He, he works. He works within you. And He brings about that endurance that lasts till the end. And another kind of side point on this point, while He does that, as your faith is tested in so doing here, 
you're also being prepared to reign with Him. You're being prepared as a kingdom citizen, as a, as a co-heir with Christ. In Romans 8, it says, it asks this question, if we suffer with Him, will we not also reign with Him? We're looking forward to the coming kingdom of Jesus, and the sufferings of this life are preparing you to reign with Christ. It's easy to miss that if you don't have an eternal perspective. That's why each day we need to ask God to give us an eternal perspective. Well, finally, the effects of affliction and the fourth divine purpose in our suffering is that our suffering causes us to rely upon God alone. Look at this chapter, 2 Corinthians 1. Drop down to verses 8 and 9 with me. 2 Corinthians 1, 8. Paul says, For we do not want you to be unaware, brethren, of our affliction which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened excessively beyond our strength, so that we despaired even of life. Verse 9, Indeed, we had the sentence of death within ourselves, so that we would not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. You know what happens when you suffer affliction? True affliction? When you have the sentence of death within yourself, as Paul describes it here? All those facades of comfort, your house, your car, your human relationships, your lazy boy, whether that's your husband or your chair, whichever, all these facades of comfort that you have stripped away. Yourself, when you look at yourself in the mirror and you say, I'm all that I need, true affliction takes that away so that you do not trust in yourself or rely on anything or anyone but God alone. One of God's great purposes in our affliction is causing us to rely upon Him alone. Those are four amazing divine purposes for our affliction. Well, finally, on the topic of the reality of affliction, I want to talk about our response, our response to affliction. As Christians, our response to suffering in this life should reflect the purposes of suffering that I just covered. Our response to the trial, the affliction, the tribulation, should reflect God's great divine purposes for that affliction. I want us to be able to see the blessing of affliction. Those purposes I just listed out for you, are those blessings? Yes, yes they are. And so as we go through this life, if we are seeking only ease, if we are seeking only creature comforts, we've missed it. You've missed the point of what God is doing in life. Part of what God is doing in your life is bringing affliction, bringing suffering. 2 Timothy 3.12 one of the very first verses I ever memorized. For all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. In one form or another, there will be suffering in this life. And so our response to suffering must reflect the purposes that God has in the suffering. This touches on our mindset 
Do you want to escape all suffering? Or are you seeking to endure suffering? There's a big difference. Do you want to escape every trial, every affliction? Or are you looking to endure? Look at verse 6 with me here in this chapter, 2 Corinthians 1, verse 6. If we are afflicted, Paul writes, it is for your comfort and salvation. Or if we are comforted, it is for your comfort. Now, this is the phrase, pay attention, which is affected, effective in the patient enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer. Our calling is to patiently endure the varied afflictions of this life whether those are afflictions that come specifically because of our association with Christ, or if these are the general sufferings that come from the fall. Our calling is to patiently abide through the trial. Patiently abide through. Not rapidly run from. <laughs> Though that is what our flesh likes to do, isn't it? We don't like pain. We get hurt a little bit and we want to fix it. But sometimes God doesn't fix it. And our calling is to patiently abide through the affliction, to accept God's circumstances for us. My state today, the state that I'm in, I don't want to accept. I would love to just pray and have everybody pray that I would feel perfect, that it wouldn't strain to speak, that I would have all my energy, that my eyes would have light and life in them instead of whatever gunk is in there right now. But we don't always look to escape. We shouldn't always look to escape. We must accept God's circumstances for us, to embrace the affliction in faith. Now, do we ask God to heal us if we want healing? Yes, that's good. But do we accept the answer no when He says no? You should, because He doesn't always just answer yes, does He? In fact, quite often God says no. And we'll talk about a very specific instance where God said no to Paul when he was asking for healing. Some people think that all the faith that could be seen in the Christian life is from those who are able by their faith to escape affliction. But I'll tell you what, real faith is seen in how you deal with affliction by walking through it, abiding through it, patiently enduring it. Real faith says God is still good even though I feel like crud. God is still good even though my heart is broken. God is still sovereign even though I just lost something very precious to me. I will not turn my back on God because God is good. And these are the circumstances He has for me. That's faith. That's real faith. We must accept the place that He's given us. Of course, there's wisdom in, in stewardship. 
designing your life, planning your life in such a way that things generally work out, yes, to neglect that would be sinful, be foolish. But there's also the reality of suffering that you will not be able to escape. And when it comes, you accept it and you say, thank you, Lord. As in one of the songs that we sing here, thank you for the trials, for the fire, for the pain. Faith says thank you to God for affliction. Ultimately, also in this world, Christians will be afflicted just for being Christians. And our pressing on seems counterintuitive. Our pressing on to our flesh seems so wrong. If we're being persecuted for being Christians, just change your religion. Change your God. Change your Savior. Do whatever the culture says so you can fit in. But your calling is to endure to the end. And Paul starts his letter here on these themes with this church because he has an important point to make with them. David Garland notes this in his commentary. He says, Severe adversity can cause one to be frightened about the future and bitter because others do not seem to care or because they add to their woes. (laughs) Think of Job's friends, huh? Paul's suffering did not cause him to doubt his faith in God, but only served, or served only to confirm it. He needs to convey this lesson to the Corinthians who use false standards and false hopes to evaluate his sufferings. So that's the reality of affliction in this life. Now, I want to end today on a note about comfort. As we endure affliction through embracing suffering, the result is God's comfort. It's not that you are called to endure suffering in this life, period, that's it. But you are called to endure the sufferings of this life with the comfort that you get from God. The meekness with which we approach this subject leads us to direct encouragement from God Himself as you accept what He has for you. Just as we see the reality of affliction, we see the presence of comfort here in this passage today. Look again at verse four, or verse three, rather. Blessed is, or blessed be, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort which we ourselves are comforted by God. What a confusing sentence. (laughs) Hard to read that one and to to track along because he uses the same words over and over again so many times. Well, that word for comfort is that familiar word if you're used to New Testament studies, paraklesis, paraklesis rather. Paraklesis, it means to come alongside. So if you can imagine someone walking through this life, shoulders slumped, head down, And someone coming alongside with an arm around the shoulder. Good words about to come. Comfort is about to come. The word can make reference to exhortation, consolation, support. But if you want just a real basic definition of what this word comfort is in the New Testament, it's spiritual boost. (laughs) That's not official technical Greek transliteration, but that works for today. What does it mean to have this comfort? It means to be boosted spiritually. 
I said to you how that word for affliction comes up over 50 times in the New Testament. Well, good news. This word for comfort comes up well over 100 times. And there is more comfort to be had from God than there is affliction in this world. This paraclesis comfort comes to you when you're down and builds you up. It encourages you. It edifies you. And here's a really important point as we're defining this comfort. Paraclesis is not, by definition, a change of externals. It's not a change of circumstances, by definition. But it's a change of internals. It's a heart change, a mind change. That your worldview as to how you're looking or dealing with or processing a certain suffering, that changes. Now, sometimes God uses externals to get you to that point, but not always. Sometimes He doesn't change the externals at all. So that's the definition of comfort. The source of comfort should be quite obvious to us. The source of all comfort is God Himself. He is called here in our text today at the end of verse 3, the God of all comfort. You can make a really basic note here that He is not the God of all affliction. Are you happy for that? He's not the God of all affliction. He's the God of all comfort. The God of all comfort. He's the fountain of all encouragement and edification. He is the ultimate source of comfort in this life. In verse 3, we're told that He's the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ and the Father of mercies. The Father of mercies, the only place in the New Testament where we have this phrase. That means that He is compassionate. That word for mercies, that's what that means. He is compassionate. God is the compassionate sovereign. He is still sovereign, but in that sovereignty, He's compassionate. The New Testament tells us that God is the Father of glory. He's the Father of spirits. He's the Father of lights. And here we see He's the Father of mercies. What a great title for God. What's also great is that God is generous in His mercy. Have you ever thought about that? We can go to God and we can find mercy any time of any day with any circumstance that we have. That should begin to start comforting you in your affliction. That when you go to God as His child, He deals with you only in mercy. Now, there may need to be some discipline through that mercy. Perhaps some of your affliction was brought on yourself. I've been there. I imagine you have too. But He's the Father of mercies to you. He deals with you mercifully. In his great little book on comfort, Philip Bennett Power says this about dealing with God and getting comfort. He says, now if I want anything, it is a great encouragement to me in going to ask for it that I know I have to deal with a generous person. I feel he will be predisposed to help me and to deal liberally with me and to do me good. And let this thought comfort you. There is not one miserly word about God in all the Bible. You will be sure to get from Him simply because He is what He is, whatever He has promised 
to bestow. And you know what he's promised to bestow? Comfort. Through his tender mercies, through his compassion, God has promised to bestow to his children great comfort. And you go to him asking for this comfort, asking for mercy, knowing that you're going to a generous God who is for you, who is seeking to bless you and help you and strengthen you. You're not going to that neighbor whose arm you have to wring anytime you need the slightest little thing. You're not going to someone who's harsh and mean and cold-hearted. You're going to your Father on the merits of your Savior. And He's generous to help you in time of need. You can boldly approach the throne of grace to find help and mercy in time of need. He's not just the Father of mercies. He's the God of all comfort, it says. The God of all comfort. The Creator possesses in His being all consolation and encouragement. Later in this letter, we get this great phrase from Paul under the inspiration of the Spirit. God, quote, comforts the depressed. That's a good verse. God comforts the depressed. He imparts His comfort to His creatures, and He does so so that we can comfort others, and we'll explore this more next week. But you, as a Christian, you are the means or you are the channel through which God, as the Creator, the fountain of all comfort, imparts comfort to His people. You, who are comforted by God, probably through His people, can go back to His people and comfort them with the comfort that you've received. It's an amazing work of God by His Spirit that He brings us together and He comforts us through each other. We find in each other, or at least we should find in each other, the mercies, the compassion, the comfort of God. Galatians 6, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. What's the command that Christ has for you? To bear the burdens of one another, to share and comfort together, lead one another into encouragement. And another common denominator, I talked about the common denominator of affliction, is that it's the sufferings of Christ. Well, here we see a common denominator of our comfort is through Christ. That's verse 5. For just as the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance, that's the common denominator of affliction, also our comfort is abundant through Christ. There's the common denominator of our comfort. There's not just one way to comfort one another. You can, you're going to be encouraged in a way that's different than the next person. But all the comfort that we have as Christians, as we come together to comfort one another in God, it's all through Christ. There at the end of verse 5, do you see this? The comforts are abundant through Christ. They're not abundant through your own schemes of how you should build somebody up. They're abundant by pointing your brothers and sisters in the Lord to Jesus, by leading them to the truth and the grace that is found in the Son of God. You see, all of our life as Christians, all of our life is tied up in Christ. In Colossians chapter 3, Paul says, when Christ who is your life appears, then you will be with Him in glory. Christ is your life. Are you suffering? 
You're suffering with Christ. Are you comforted? You're comforted through Christ. Your entire life is wrapped up in the person and work of Jesus, and the afflictions of this life lead you to blessing in Christ, namely the blessing of the comfort of God. So consider it this way. I mentioned earlier that when we share in His afflictions, we're putting on the uniform that we have as Christians. We're putting on the sufferings of Christ. And while we wear the uniform of Christ's sufferings, He gives us the badge of God's comfort. We have on us, marked on us, not just the afflictions, though the the afflictions are there. We also have the comfort of God. And this is a great message of hope for those who don't know God. Not only is it a great message of hope for Christians, it's a great message to take to the world. Those who are experiencing the general hardships of life, great trials. I mean, you know people who don't know God and are going through some devastating things in life. What message do we take to them? We can take to them the message that we have a God who comforts the depressed. We have a God who heals the brokenhearted. We have a God who comes to people in their mess and is there with them and rescues them from that mess. We have a God who is able to impart an eternal peace and joy and contentment that the world could never give, that a creature could never conjure up. We have the God of all comfort, and you can access this comfort through Jesus. That's what you get to take to people who are suffering, is the message of comfort through Christ. When I was a new believer, I spent time on online rooms. Well, not really chat rooms. They were like message boards. Because I thought, what a great place to cut my teeth with evangelism. I can go online where a bunch of people are from around the world and they don't know who I am. So if I say something stupid, they won't know. And so I can go on there and just try. And if I fail miserably, no one will know. It'll be fine. And I remember one specific interaction I had with a young man who was trying to communicate to me that Christians have nothing unique to offer people who are hurt in this world. This is like the classic problem of evil that atheists will oftentimes try to trap the Christian with. Is you've, got the, you've got evil in the world, you've got pain and suffering. What do you have to offer a Christian that's going to help the person who's suffering deal with that? And I'm sure I rattled off something about the gospel. I hope, you know, I don't remember exactly what I said. But I remember his response where he said, you know, I'm able to help somebody out by coming to that person and saying, hey man, I've been there. You'll get through this. That was his view of helping people in pain and suffering. That was like the pinnacle of what you're able to say to somebody who is without hope in the world, who's being inflicted with suffering. Hey man, I've been there. Well, number one, that's like the top thing you're told not to say in counseling. (laughs) You're never to, you know, put down someone's pain and suffering. But two, to make yourself the standard of comfort. How about this? That we have a great high priest who is able to sympathize with our weaknesses, who in every way, like we were, was tempted. 
that he came and not only did he suffer hunger, not only did he suffer fatigue, he was persecuted. He was crucified. He was despised and forsaken. He was spat upon. He was rejected by the world. He was rejected by his friends. He was rejected by his family. And yet, he has overcome the world. He has overcome all of that adversity that we can't overcome. But they destroyed that temple and he raised it up on the third day. And he ascended into heaven and he sits on high and he works for us. Hebrews chapter 7 says that he always lives to make intercession for you, Christian. Jesus always lives to make intercession for the saints. He is at work for you. Through faith in Christ, you have access to the comfort of God because you have the one who has overcome the world on your behalf, working day and night. When you think you don't need Him working for you, when all of life is great, He is at work for you, protecting you from yourself, keeping you in right relationship with the Father, mediating on your behalf because of your pride. And when you're in the lowest valley and you feel it all around you and you're afflicted from every side and every way and you just want to escape, He is there to bring you through it. He pulls you through. He helps you endure. He gives you the patience that you need. He gives you the strength that you need that you could never pull out from within yourself. He gives you the comfort of God. Verse 5, our comfort is abundant through Christ. Well, the result of this comfort, I'll end with this. The result of this comfort is abiding through trials of affliction in this life. The result is abiding through trials of affliction in this life. It's experiencing Hebrews 13, 5, quoting from Joshua. God says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. That's the result of the comfort of God as you experience God's abiding presence as you abide through the trials of this life. And this is a great principle that will change how you look at your sufferings. God gives you comfort through your sufferings, not comfort instead of your sufferings. Far too often we're seeking God's comfort in place of affliction. But God gives us comfort through our affliction. To the world and to our flesh, this is an impossible paradox. It has to be one or the other. You're either afflicted or you're comforted. Which is it? But for the Christian, we have the joy of experiencing affliction and comfort at the same time. In both the general afflictions of this life and in the specific suffering for Christ, we never go through it alone. We never go through it without purpose. We never go through it to rely on our own strength. But we are cared for and loved by a father and a family. Not just a father, but a family, Christian family, with gospel grace and gospel mercy. Paul learned this principle firsthand as he testifies in this very letter. Last verses we'll look at, chapter 4, verses 7 through 12. 
2 Corinthians 4, 7, it says, We have this treasure in earth and vessels so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not despairing, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying about in the body the dying of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. For we who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death works in us, but life in you. Drop down to verse 16. Therefore, we do not lose heart, but, through, but though rather our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Remember Paul asked to be healed of that thorn in his flesh? Jesus said no. But he didn't just say no. He said, my power is perfected in weakness. So Paul goes on to say, therefore, I'm going to boast in my weaknesses. My weaknesses indicate the power of Jesus. Embrace the afflictions that God has for you with His great divine purposes. Embrace the suffering by faith because God is using it to comfort you, to work a power in you. You can be comforted as Paul was. Jesus works His power in your weakness. And there's much more to be said on that, and so next week we'll continue our theology of comfort from this passage. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You that You are the God who comforts the depressed. You are in no need, yet You come to us and comfort our hearts by faith. Thank you. Help us to rely on you this week and to patiently endure the sufferings of this life for your sake. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.